Stella made a beat, so it's go time. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Core 4 Podcast. The Core 4 is a podcast under SB Nation's Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network. Find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Grizzly Bear Blues is a network under SB Nation. Find them on the web at grizzlybearblues.com or on Twitter at SBN Grizzlies. I'm your host, Parker Fleming, and Nate Chester is not with me right now. But we got you a special guest. We got Michael Lohman, the site manager over at SB Nation's SLC Dunk. Michael, what's up? Oh, just living the dream over here in the good old Western United States. Uh, just saw Mike Conley win a couple awards and just saw the, uh, the, the newly minted two-time Defensive Player of the Year, Rudy Gobert, re- received the, the award for the second straight year. So uh, good day. It's a good day here. That is a good day. And I do want to talk to you about Mike Conley because he's a huge get for y'all. I mean, oh, he's a guy that elevates y'all. It is going to be absolutely spectacular to have him on the team. I, I don't think uh, the Utah Jazz have had a front court, and excuse me, a backcourt as good as they have now with Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell. And I don't think they've had one in their history. They've been close to having that when, for a moment with John Stockton and Daryl Griffith or another time when they had uh, John Stockton with Jeff Hornacek, but Jeff Hornacek was more of a small forward. And then Darren Williams never got to play with a, with a shooting guard as prolific um, as anybody in Donovan Mitchell. And, so, and then since getting, uh, since getting Donovan Mitchell, they've been trying to get a point guard. Um, they had Ricky Rubio. They tried unsuccessfully to get Mike Conley at the trade deadline. And now it's finally happened. And so the the biggest thing is Utah's going for that window in the Western Conference where there there is going to be at least a one year lull where it, anybody it's anybody's championship whoever was in the playoff discussion last year. So Utah's definitely moving all their chips to the table and uh, going for it. The question is just going to be in two years when Mike Conley is. Uh, a little bit older and due for another due for another contract is is will it have been worth it? Uh, because uh, the hall was Jay Crowder, Grayson Allen, um, and uh, Kyle Korver plus uh, the first rounder for this year, and then the 2020 uh, protected first rounder that could become a very valuable asset in 2022. Right, right. And before we get into all that about about the Grizzlies' return, I do want to talk about Mike Conley's impact on the Utah Jazz. More specifically, how he impacts both Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert's game. Yeah, for for Rudy Gobert, uh, well, let's go with both of them. Uh, what they are both going to enjoy is greater spacing in the paint. During Donovan Mitchell's rookie year, he was actually one of the best finishers at the rim. At, at one point, uh, finishing at the rim as well as LeBron James was. 
Um, in his second season, however, teams adapted to that and forced him to be more of a perimeter player. And Donovan Mitchell struggled at the beginning of the year, partly because of the nagging injury from, from the prior postseason, and partly just a little bit of a sophomore slump. Uh, likewise, Rudy Gobert has... The only year he's actually been able to enjoy true spacing was the year the Utah Jazz had George Hill. And so instantly Mike Conley is going to be able to open the floor up because most most opposing teams, when they played the Utah Jazz and they they saw Ricky Rubio out there, they're like, cool, we're going to use Ricky Rubio's man sort of like a free safety. We'll let him roam around the court, similar to how defenders would guard Rondo. And, uh, and and so what would happen with Utah is there would always be um, a floating man to be able to drop down to uh, make life difficult for Rudy Gobert on on pick and rolls so he couldn't couldn't rim run, or for Donovan Mitchell we had somebody spying so Donovan Mitchell every single time he was driving to the hoop was not just having to beat his own man but was having to beat Ricky, Ricky Rubio's man or whoever uh, the opposing team was using to spy. Uh, the Houston Rockets would, uh, in the playoffs, would use uh, P.J. Tucker um, to do that. So they flipped P.J. Tucker um, on Ricky Rubio on play so that P.J. Tucker could rotate and, and really slow uh, Donovan Mitchell down and put a bigger body on him after he had uh, beat either Chris Paul or, or James Harden. So it was, it, it, it's, that's going to be the instant, instant, instant that you're going to see on the court. The other thing is uh, when when – Mike Conley and Rudy Gobert now run that pick and roll. Teams will have to decide to pick their poison because now they can't just crash the paint, or that leaves Joe Ingles free from the outside. That could leave Donovan Mitchell ready to uh, to cut to the rim for an easy dunk. Um, if they lay off and and off of Mike Conley, he's going to punish them from behind the three point line. If they try to hedge Mike Conley, then all of a sudden you have Rudy Gobert just crashing the rim. Uh, unabated and uh, either you have to rotate uh, to stop him which leaves once again Joe Ingles free from the outside or uh, or you have to uh, just live with the results so uh, the biggest thing uh, Mike Conley provides for the Utah Jazz is um, a release valve for when a defense wants to try to scheme against the Utah Jazz uh, the Jazz had a very schemable offense uh hardwood paroxysm would talk about it all the time we would talk about it all the time that if you wanted if you wanted to scheme the utah jazz out of a game and had the the days off to implement a game plan for it you could do it and so it, it's it, this this year um is a completely different story the only the only issue with mike conley coming over here is what are they going to do at the four spot to to maintain that spacing on the floor. Right, because as of right now, you'll still have Derek Favors on that non-guaranteed deal, correct? Yes, he's on a non-guaranteed deal. Um, it has to be, this is the interesting thing with Derek Favors, he has to be guaranteed by July 6th. So Utah can go um, wait for through the first few days of the moratorium to see how the free agent market uh, kind of starts to line up. And then if they think that the secondary market or some players that uh, weren't available via trade are now available via trade, then they can go out there and possibly make some moves. Or they look at that and say, this this didn't really go in our favor, and our best option really is their favors. 
Um, they have a really great fallback plan. So it's not the worst position to be in uh, for the Utah Jazz. Um, but having brought on Mike Conley, they're, they are not working with a lot of, uh, a lot of money. Uh, there are rumored that Tobias Harris is still interested in Utah. That one gets really, really hard to work because you have to either do a sign-and-trade with Philadelphia. Not sure if Philly is really down for that. Yeah, or you have to um, jettison Joe Ingles um, to be able to make room to sign Tobias Harris for a full max under the cap, and then you're just creating another problem of you have to replace three-point shooting by Joe Ingles, and then uh, or Tobias Harris takes less than a max, which once again, with how much money is out there, I it would it would blow my mind if any free agent with knowing the amount of money that's available on on the free market this year is going would take less money just to fit in with the team so um uh, bobby portis is an option who um uh he is he is known for being able to rebound and shoot threes and punch teammates so um true he the the the, the, the true trifecta so it does, does that fit into Utah, uh, which is known for uh, having a good culture? Was that just like something got a little bit extra heated at the moment? Um, and also his his ex-teammate, who he did punch, Miritich, uh, uh, is also um, a, a possibility. But once again, Utah's not working with a lot of cap space. So it's it will be an interesting offseason for Utah as they have to fill in a lot of, a lot of needs um, with not a lot of cap space. So it's a unique situation and, 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 a, and a good problem to have because now they have three good players versus like we don't have, versus other teams that are capped out, like say the Charlotte Hornets, um, with not a lot of good depth and not a lot of good players. So it's a good problem to have. Right. Do you know, I was just looking at some free agents. Do you know which free agent fit I really like with Utah? Who's that? Julius Randle. See, that's it. I do too. I think he would be a great fit. I think he would be a great fit. Um, Tony Jones um, of The Athletic, who is pretty plugged into uh, Derek Favors' uh, situation this summer and, and the Utah Jazz, he, he seems to say that the Utah Jazz would prefer to have Derek Favors over Julius Randle, and I think that's just like the known asset versus the unknown asset. Um, mentality. I just think Julius Randle would be such a such a great fit, and especially with a team that is just going to be able to run. One of my favorite things when I was looking up uh, just uh, highlights of Mike Conley, and uh, and he he gets he's able to sneak behind the defense on fast breaks mm-hmm. so much. I I. I I can't remember that happening more than a handful of times for Utah all last season. And I think part of it was Marcus all could just like throw an outlet pass, like nobody's business. Right. And so, so Mike Conley knew that that would always be available to him. So I don't know who would, who would do that for him in Utah other than him passing it to himself. But at the <laughs> same time, I was, I, I was really impressed that he like, he still got, he still got the jets, man. He can still go. So, 
so there'll be some, some interesting wrinkles. And so because of that, because of like that athleticism and the, the just the, the want to get moving, I think he'd be a great, uh, Julius Randle would fit in with that. With You'd have a center who runs like a gazelle and moves Gilbert. You have, have Julius Randle, who's just a bowling ball. You have Donovan Mitchell, who's an athletic freak. I, funny enough, the person in that lineup that would play trailer is Joe Ingles. Mm-hmm. We just mosey down the court. So, um, yeah. So I, th- I, I would love that fit. I, I, I would love that fit. Um, I, so what is what is going on with uh, Jamichael Green over there in in Memphis? I mean, Jamichael Green is uh he's he got traded to the Los Angeles Clippers at the trade deadline for yeah, Avery Bradley. Right. That's right. That's but he's right. also a free agent. Yeah. What, what what were your thoughts on him during his time over there? Because I know before the season, a few of our writers were like, "Oh man, I'd like to have Michael Michael Green in in a Jazz uniform." How was he on uh, the stretch four? Oh yeah, I mean he's honestly a good stretch four, pretty solid defender. Um, I think his run with the Grizzlies last year kind of soured everybody's opinions of him because there was the trio of Shelvin Mack, Jamichael Green, and Marcus All that was statistically one of the worst trios in basketball. I remember Chris Vernon basically dug up the stats and ba- and was like, of the teams actually trying to win games, Shelvin, Matt, Jamichael Green, Mark Saul has like a, the worst net rating of any of them. And it's like a minus 20. So, I mean, that kind of, and also JB Bickerstaff was playing him over Jaron Jackson Jr. for some stretches, primarily in, in a uh, clutch time. So like, a lot of people kind of just soured on Jamichael Green, but in reality, he's a good guy to have off your bench to yeah. potentially shoot threes, get you some rebounds, play some hard defense, and just make winning plays off the bench. I like his fit yeah, in Utah a lot. That would be someone I'd be. I, I would hope Utah would be interested in. Funny enough, Utah had a problem, like I not problem with Shelvin Mack, but he gained a lot of favoritism um, over Dante Exum and Powell Neto. Uh, in Utah when he was there and he got a lot of minutes part partly because the Butler connection between him and Gordon Hayward and uh, that was the year Utah Jazz were trying to make sure that they were able to keep Gordon Hayward around so they're kind of like bending over backwards to play his buddy and uh, and same thing there was a lineup that he was in that just was just known for hemorrhaging runs. Uh, mm-hmm. So, um, been there, done that. Yeah, I, I think, so we can I, relate I, on I, that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I got some, I got some shared pain there. Um, so the, I think the the main thing after this trade with 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 Memphis when it comes to uh, Utah is just like we know Mike Conley is going to be solid. We know the fit with Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell is going to be great. We know the fit between Mike Conley and, and Rudy Gobert is going to be excellent. He's an amazing pick and roll player, pick and pop player. Like he fits the Utah Jazz's offense so well. It's just the guys who are left behind, how are they going to perform? Those are guys like Royce O'Neal, who is always a solid defender, solid 3 and D guy. Can he step up to an even bigger role next year? Um, uh, Dante Exum, is he ever going to be half of what he was billed for um, when he came into the league? Because once again, 
Um, he, Utah Jazz are saying, we don't want to trade him. He's our guy. Again, he's going to be there. They still believe in him despite all the injuries. And then last but not least, a guy that I'm not sure is on a lot of opposing teams radars right now is uh, George Niang, a guy out of Iowa state who worked his way up through the G league uh, and is a fantastic, fantastic stretch for, he actually shot above 40% from three last year. Um, but he just couldn't do it in big games. Um, right. He could be a very, very good value play at the stretch four position if if everything works out. It's just been him getting into in moving from, as he calls it, his pudgy state at Iowa State, hitting that dorm food, um, to developing an NBA body, which he has in the G League. And, and as he's moved, he has almost a Boris Diaw-like game. Uh, not he's strangely athletic, but not athletic at the same time. Is good at handling the ball, um, a good passer, and uh, and and shows flashes uh, at, at times of being a a legit stretch four in the NBA. It's just the difference between being a legit stretch four and just a guy who comes off the bench for like like for ten or fifteen minutes a game. It's just your consistency. If he can be consistent next year, Utah will have the luxury of being able to possibly keep Derek Favors and use their mid-level exception to go after more depth instead of being like, we have to replace a lot of minutes from Jay Crowder. So, All right, we're back. And so, Michael, for one, I don't think there's really much to say about Jay Crowder. If they play on the Grizzlies, I think they'll be great veteran presence. But for the most that's won't you agree? Yeah, he's he's a solid. He, I mean, he's a solid locker room presence. He guards multiple positions. He always he works hard. Um, it, he's he's a good piece. I'm not sure how he fits in a rebuilding squad. I think he has the most value to you all at the next trade deadline, where you might be able to get an, even more uh, for him. Maybe a late first rounder or or an early second round pick. Um, out of him and maybe some, some cost savings if there's another contract you guys are just trying to trying to unload. But he's a good he 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 he's a he's a good a good player off your bench and even got a vote for sixth player of the year. A third place vote, but he got a vote. Wow, interesting. I didn't know that. Um I just found so, that out a few minutes ago. I don't know who voted for him because I wouldn't have but hey Put that in your next story. For sure, for sure. And so one question I think everybody's anticipating from me is Grayson Allen. I'm a huge Grayson Allen fan. I know he had a terrible rookie season. (laughs) But what should I expect from Grayson Allen, I guess? And could he potentially become a competent role player in the NBA? That is such a hard question to answer, mainly because he struggled so much in Utah and was given so many opportunities to be able to seize uh, consistent bench minutes. Um, there was a stretch in which Utah was without a single point guard for about 30 days. Uh, Ricky Rubio was hurt, Dante Exum was hurt, and Helen Neto was hurt. Basically, if you had a pulse and could dribble a ball, you were going to get some minutes. And Grayson Allen could not seize on it. He became, he was unplayable during that stretch. So 
uh, during that time when when he's able to have maybe his Wally Pitt moment to get go out there and, and show everybody what he's got, um, he wasn't. And the main thing he wasn't able to be out there was he wasn't playing inside the offense for Utah. So he was forcing shots, and Utah's offense is uh, known as advantage basketball. So you're able to get good looks. You just have to trust that the, that the offense is going to find those looks. Um, he didn't trust that. And then B, the, which was the main thing, was his defense. His defense was rough. Uh, he, he was uh, consistently out of position. Um, he was caught watching the ball while he was off ball. Um, I think one of uh, one of my writers, he called it YMCA defense, where uh, you're right in the defender for the first like five to ten seconds of the shot clock, like really going tough guy, and then uh, and then relaxing where uh, where you lose your man. Um, now that said. Um, after that, after that stretch where the Utah Jazz were without a point guard and Grayson couldn't capitalize, he was sent down to the Salt Lake City Stars for two months. And I think that uh, before it, he was just going in stints, like he'd be there for a couple days and then he'd be back. But this time he stayed with the team um, and went wherever they went, say for a few practices when the Utah Jazz were in town. So that he. He's he's when he got back and granted this was only for the last two weeks of the season. Most of the teams the Jazz were playing were out of contention anyway. Um, they he he was where he needed to be on defense. He was hitting open shots, and then when he played the Aguas Caliente Clippers, aka the LA Clippers, on the last day of the season, um, when both the Utah Jazz and LA Clippers did not play a single starter. Uh, he lit them up for 40 points. It went nuts. The bigger deal is when he went, when he scored almost 25 points the day, the game before, and he was doing that off the dribble. He was doing that within the offense, and that was when they were actually playing a real NBA team. So, I would say for for Grayson, I, I would if you're a Memphis Grizzlies fan, I would say you, if he does play in summer league. You would hope to see him playing away where he plays like a couple games, and then he's so good you don't play him anymore. Um, uh, he has athleticism. He has the NBA build. Uh, he he does try to lo- he does. It looks like he was able to learn. Um, now the question is 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 he able to pick it up really quick or is he going to be a guy like Jim or Fredette that you look at and be like, he looks like an NBA player. Um, he should have all the tools to be here, um, but he just never put it together. So I, I think year two is going to be the real year that you decide that, that you're able to see that because he's just, you know, he's almost 24. So yeah, that'll be his, is the big decider. Yeah, I gotta keep. I'm just gonna keep believing. You know, big Grayson <laughs> Allen guy. Yeah, but, dude, dude, build that Grayson Grayson Island, man. Just stay out there, camp it. Uh, just let the value grow, and may, maybe you'll be able to flip it. True, I like that idea. And so, finally, one of the things I want to close on 
And the most valuable part of the trade to me was the two first round picks. And one of those first round picks, the Grizzlies used to trade up to take Brandon Clark. And so we saw that a lot of uh, guys in this draft that had a lot of lottery hype fell into the late first round. Brandon Clark, Nasir Little, and yeah. Bull Bull. Does that kind of have you like get you just like a little bit upset about it? Or like, are you fine little- with it? I'm fine with it, and and this is why. So this was this draft reminded me a lot of the 2013 NBA draft, and and that draft was uh, the same draft that Anthony Bennett went number one. The Sixers began the process and traded away Drew Holiday and 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 jettisoned that. There was a lot of craziness, and that was the same draft that Giannis was drafted. And what happened was there was there was a couple guys that everyone was like, these are going to be the dudes. And they ended up not being the guys. And, um, and then the, there was this giant draft here from pick like 10 to pick 40, where it was like, yes, these guys are projected to go in the lottery, but at the same time, it, it, it was, beauty was in the side of the beholder. For example, the Utah Jazz had Rudy Gobert listed as one of the 10 best prospects in that draft. And he fell to 27. Um, other teams, um, when I uh, when I was at the NBA draft combine that year and was covering it, there were there were some. I remember one scout said to me uh, and pointing at pointing at Rudy Gobert, saying one team is going to make a Hashim to beat size mistake. Wow! So that hurts me. <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot. I'm so sorry. So. Um, so I, I think with this draft, when there is such parity in such a wide range, like I think that's what this, this draft showed. It, it wasn't that Bobo wasn't good. It was just like the team that probably felt that he was rated really high um, didn't have a pick to be able to go after him again. And Or we had teams that he didn't work out for that don't have his medical records that are just watching him fall. And they're like, well, I, I don't have his medical records. We didn't get to work him out. Maybe those teams know something we don't. I don't want to risk a first rounder on that. Maybe I'll risk a second rounder. Um, but then guys like Eric Pascal uh, fell, out of, fell out of the first round and Carson Edwards and others. So, um, and, and even the Utah Jazz, they traded back into the second round to get uh, and ended up with three second round picks own the last 10 picks of the NBA draft and they all, and they feel really good about those picks as much as it, and see them as, as, as talented as some of the guys in the beginning of the second round and in the late first. So I think what's so interesting about this year's draft is I think we're going to look back at um, the 2019 NBA draft, much like we look at the 2013. Yes. Zion will still be, will be the great one out of this one. But then we're going to be talking about this one being like, man, can you believe so-and-so went 34? Can you believe Brandon Clark fell to number 23? Can you believe – I think there's going to be a lot of that in this year's draft, similar to uh, that, 2000, that 2013 one with Rudy Gobert and Giannis and Steven Adams and how Neto came from that, that draft. And, and so I think there's just going to be um, a lot, uh, a, a, a lot of players that – were extremely undervalued um, from this from this draft. Mm-hmm. 
And so one of the things that I picked out from this trade was the set the second pick that was dealt because with Utah, I'm gonna be real, this trade I feel like shortens their window to compete because Conley's 31 or 32, Ingles in his mm-hmm. in his 30s. If they supermax Rudy Gobert, I mean, good luck building a team around him and a maxed out Donovan Mitchell. And right. the way their protections are laid out, they'll be a playoff team for the next two years, which means they'll keep their pick. But in that 2022 draft, when that Supermax might be kicked in, as well as Donovan Mitchell's max contract, I'm worried about, for Utah at least, I mean, you're sick. Like, that that pick could end up being a very valuable pick in what could be the double draft with the high school seniors and the one-and-done prospects. Right. The, the, there is one key about that. Um, and actually, I don't think I've written about this. And um, the Utah Jazz actually still hold two second-round picks from that in that draft. We have the San Antonio Spurs pick, which could prove to be a, a, a valuable pick in that year. It could be in the early 30s. And they, also, and they still have their own second-rounder as well. So if, so if things go off the rails and you're already in a very deep draft with, you know, the, the 18-year-olds coming in and the 19-year-olds, Utah still might be able to get some value at a very good spot. Though, it would be nothing like, um, be, like a, a pick number 14 or 15 in that 2022 draft is going to be extremely, extremely valuable. So... Um, so that's I, I do agree. That's the that's the uh, very very uh, difficult thing that Utah has to deal with is they made this trade saying they didn't just make this trade being like what will it take to get Mike Conley. The question they were asking themselves was what will it take if we make this trade? Will we be a championship contender? And is this trade is the are the assets that we gave out worth? being able to have an NBA trophy. That's, that's really the question. And so at that point, they're not, for the first time in, in my jazz life, I don't feel like my Utah jazz are caring about what's happening for to four plus years beyond this point. And that's always kind of been their thing as a small market. You're like, well, we're going to contend, but we can't, we can't kill ourselves because we're a small market and bad things might happen after this. Every small market team does that. They're, they're, they're prey. They're prey in the NBA. They're never the predator. And for the first time, Utah is saying, whatever happens, happens. We have a chance to win a championship. We're going to do this. I think the most interesting thing is, as you said, in two years, how do they pivot? Because they have to make a decision with Rudy Gobert and they're going to be looking at his at his health and being like, okay, well, does it make sense to give a center like Rudy Gobert a supermax? Um, how do we bring in a third star now that we have Donovan Mitchell, who if Utah is good next year, Donovan Mitchell is going to make an all-star game. So will Rudy Gobert. So will Mike Conley. Like if they're, if they're a 60 win team, they're going to get a lot of attention and they're going to have a lot of guys in that all-star game, especially seeing as, Donovan Mitchell got votes last year and Rudy Gobert got votes and Mike Conley is seen as somebody who is, has been long overdue for it. So it could be that, that, um, so Donovan Mitchell would be eligible for, uh, for that big time five year, five year max with the team. And then you have Rudy Gobert who's good for that. So the main thing for 
for Utah is going to be, is this worth staying with Rudy Gobert and hoping that Donovan Mitchell achieves what they believe he's capable of, of being one of the top 10 NBA players in the league. And if he does that, then Utah is able to build around him and maybe move off from Rudy Gobert when he's eligible, maybe talk Rudy Gobert into taking less and saying, hey, you take less, you stay here, we're going to win more championships and we can build more with that. But it's going to be such a precocious situation in in a couple years because Mike Conley is going to be be aging. What will he want to do? Um, how how what type of money will he be looking after? So there's a lot of variables that Utah's going to have to navigate um, once the bill comes due on this trade. Yeah, absolutely, Michael. Fantastic interview. We're about running out of time here. Could you plug in any stuff that you like to, social media, the stuff on the site, whatever you feel? Yeah. Okay. So um, we have some awesome posts on the site for uh, for what Memphis Grizzlies fans can expect from Grayson Allen and from Jay Crowder. We also have some awesome pieces if you just want to reminisce about Mike Conley. Um, if you want to become a jazz fan for the next couple years and double dip a little bit, um, we got some we got some good stuff with our podcast at our site, the SLC Punks podcast with myself and, and James Hansen. And then, of course, you can always hit us up on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram and just search SLC Dunk and follow us there. So we got some awesome stuff over there. Awesome stuff. And you can find us on Twitter at the core four podcast with the number four, not the word for find me on Twitter at Paca underscore Flocka. Follow the blog at sbngrizzlies.com. Follow Michael on Twitter at my underscore low. And that is L O and also follow SLC dunk on Twitter. Also read their content. They got great Utah jazz content content that we're going to be reading because Mike Conley is now Utah Jazz. And Michael, thank you again for joining us on this week's Core 4. Hey, no problem. Thanks for having me on. No problem. Take care.